If you join me in Bible study today, please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, to chapter 6. As we begin today in verse number 8. Since verse number 8 begins with the word for, we should look back to 7 and see what the for is all about. So verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We talked last week about the fact he says, do not be deceived because there are false teachers and false prophets out there who will try and tell you that now the Messiah has been crucified, buried, and resurrected. Praise the Lord, there's no more sin. We can live as we want. If you fall for that, you have been deceived. Because that's what verse 7 means. God is not mocked. God means what he says. And a man who sows, that's what he's going to reap. And when we looked at Romans 6, what does sowing lawlessness reap? Death. What does sowing righteousness reach? Life. Which would you rather have? You know, I laid awake a lot last night with kind of a chill running up my spine about people who think that, well, hell's not going to be that bad. No. What? Have you ever been burned, really badly burned? If so, you never want to be burned again. And to think about burning for an eternity. Talk about a bad choice. But verse 8 continues that same theme. For he who sows to his flesh. What does that mean to sow to your flesh? It means to walk in sin, to do what you want to do. Ignore God and just live life the way you want to live it. He will reap what? Corruption. Death. But he who sows to the Spirit. How do you sow to the Spirit? You walk in accordance with righteousness, with the commandments of God. You walk in holiness. Without holiness, no one will see whom? God. It says, who, he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap what? Everlasting life. So corruption refers to everlasting death. The opposite, everlasting life. Paul tells us right here that while we're not saved by keeping commandments, that's not possible. We're saved by faith. Once we're saved by faith, do we then walk in the flesh or in the spirit? Sure. Do we walk in sin or do we walk in righteousness? Righteousness. And the end of the walk in righteousness is everlasting life. Let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Where to me, God just makes it crystal clear. How many of you have taken the kinds of tests that I have in the past where you've got an answer A, B, C, D, F, and G is all the above, H is none of the above, I is A, C, and F, and God, God doesn't do that to us. He gives us two choices, one on one hand, one on the other. Just pick one. But let's look, Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 20. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good. Put that in one hand. Death and evil on the other. And it means what? Pick one. In that, 
I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. There's more in that verse than meets the eye. Obedience is in that verse, but more important is the motivation for the obedience. What is that? Is it fear? No, it's love. What did Messiah say in John 14, 15? If you are afraid of me, keep my commandments. No, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's where God wants to see us, is in a position where it's the love that motivates us to follow him, because we want to, because we choose to. And it goes on in verse 17 to say, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, Implicit in that word here is to obey. How do you say obey in Hebrew? What's the verb? It's shema. Shema bakol is to obey. Same word is here. And are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Why? Why heaven and earth? Why not the trees? Why not the fish? Why not the wolves? Because heaven and earth will always be there. That tells us what? That the offer of life or death will never end. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, so which one is blessing, life or death? Blessing is life, the cursing is death. Just checking to see if you're awake. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. Does God care which one we choose? He absolutely does. Then why does he let us choose? Why does he just make us all robots? He wants us to be his children. He wants us to want him, to desire him, to love him, to follow him, because we choose to. And verse 20 begins that. What, the, what is the outcome of choosing to love God with all your heart? That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. That you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Is that any different than what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6? It's the same thing. We still have the same choice. We can love God or we cannot. We can obey him or we cannot. Then we, we go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. After telling us that if you think just because you have made a profession of faith that you can walk in sin and avoid God's judgment, you're just... You're... Whew. You're messed up. 
He says in verses 5 to 8, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Well, I thought Paul was writing to believers. He is. Verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. Think back to Deuteronomy 30, what was good? That was the hand with life. That was the hand of obedience. But to the eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, meaning not seeking after God, seeking after the pleasures of the world, the pleasures of the flesh, and do not obey the truth. You may know what the truth is here. The Torah, Psalm 119, verse 142. But to those who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. How do we know the truth there is referring to the Torah? What's another term for unrighteousness? Lawlessness. And he goes on to say, you who teach the law and then break the law, what about it? You're in danger of the judgment, aren't you? Yeah. Is knowing the law sufficient? No, but does the Lord say know and do? Verse 23 really sticks out. Because it says, you make your boast in the Torah, do you dishonor God through breaking the Torah? So, the Torah is he talking about the scribes and the Pharisees? How they claimed to be truly worshiping God and yet they were not? Have some of those become believers and continued the same attitudes? But if you say Torah has been abolished... And what are you saying about your relationship to God? You dishonor God. You know, the Bible says what it says. Let's go on to Romans 6. Does that go beyond dishonoring God to alienating ourselves from God? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to stand before God's presence on Judgment Day having dishonored him? Made yourself abominable? No. Because the verse goes on to say. The verse goes on to say. The next verse. The next verse. Says the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So how is the name of God blasphemed among the Gentiles? How is the name of God blasphemed among the Gentiles? But by breaking Torah. Oh my my. And teaching others to break Torah. What did Messiah say in Matthew 23 about going round the world to make a, a convert? Make him twice the son of hell as you. Yeah. Romans 6. I've really come to like Romans 6. And yet Romans is the book everybody says teaches us to stop keeping the commandments. But look at Romans 6 verses 22 and 23. Read them together as a group because they are a group. Because verse 23 begins with four, which means because. Verse 22 says, but now having, become, having been set free from sin. 
That is by being saved. And having become slaves of God, what does it mean to be a servant of God? One who obeys him, one who follows his commandments. You have your fruit to holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And in the end, everlasting life. How can you read that and say God wants us to go back to a life of sin? It says, for because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life of Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. You really wish they would translate the end here as goal. You don't think we're abolishing eternal life by getting saved? No, of course not. You're absolutely right. But you know what? If they started doing that, they would have to do it in places they don't want to do it, wouldn't they? Recognizing that this is the very same word that's used in Romans 10, verse 4. And then to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Yeshua. I've heard this over and over again over the last couple months. And they stop right there. They put a period, but it, there's no period. It goes on to say, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. They put a period after the word Yeshua and say that means we can walk in sin and God no longer cares. If you read the whole sentence, however, now there is no condemnation to those who are Messiah Yeshua. Who? What does that word who mean? It's a limitation factor, right? Who do not walk according to the flesh that is continuing in their sins, but according to the spirit that is walking in righteousness and holiness. Does my Bible have a footnote that says the NIV omits the rest of this verse? It certainly does. Yeah. That's why they stop right there. That's why they stop right there. They're reading, I call it the non-inspired, you call it the nearly inspired. We both get to the same point. What I told the folks at the conference in Texas is if you have an NIV, throw it away and I'll buy you a new one, a new Bible. And there were people who had a bonfire that night. Yeah. Daniel chapter 12, wait a minute, that's in the Old Testament. Surely there's nothing in the Old Testament of value to us. Oh, yes. That's where the promises are. That's where the covenants are. The Apostle Paul says, God put these lessons back here for us to learn from them. So we'll start in verse 1, but the key verse is 2. At that time, what time does that refer to? The middle of the tribulation period, halfway through. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is the equivalent to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 12. Daniel 12 and Revelation 12 take place at the same time. And there shall be a time of trouble. <clears throat> what do we call that time of trouble in Jeremiah 30 verse 7? Jacob's trouble. Why isn't it called Israel's trouble? Because Israel is saved, and this is not for wrath to be poured out on God's children. 
There should be a time of children such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. My Bible has a little note I didn't write in it. The authors did. Romans eleven twenty six, which says what? And all Israel shall be saved. So people shouldn't expect all Israel to be saved today. All Israel gets saved in the tribulation period. So are there Jews alive today that are saved? Yes, because God always has a remnant. Everyone who's, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book. What book? The book of life. The Lamb's book of life. They mention that in the Old Testament. They most certainly do. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. How do we know who's going to be in which resurrection? Question. Are they saved or not? Yes, Bill. All right, that verse 2 there, it says, and many of those. Now, it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake because at the time of Messiah's resurrection, there was a group that was already resurrected. Did they die again? No, they ascended up to heaven with Messiah. Yep. Remember he ascended in with the clouds? We're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. He returns with the clouds and the clouds are the raptured and resurrected saints. So that's why it's many instead of all. Some have already been. But some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And you get to choose which group you're in. But you have to choose now while you're alive. Because it's appointed in a man once to die and then the judgment. And verse 3 says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. That's like the stars in the heavens. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Where's the verse that says, and those who turn many to lawlessness? <laughs> now, they're up there in the shame and everlasting contempt, aren't they? They're on the goat side. So this says, if you want to shine like the stars forever and ever, turn many to righteousness. The opposite of righteousness is lawlessness. So do not lead the flocks into lawlessness. Where in Matthew do we read that same thing? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men, so shall be called least king of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Those who are teaching the commandments are leading people to what? To righteousness. Those who teach that the law has been abolished, you can walk in your sin. They're leading people to destruction. Oh my. Matthew 25. And Romans says God's name is blasphemed because of that. You're exactly right. It is very strong language. So is the portion in Leviticus that says when you eat unclean things, it makes you abominable in the sight of God. One thing you don't want to be called on Judgment Day is abominable. Even if you are a snowman, I could see you're going right to the snowman. Okay. Matthew 25, verses 45 and 46. 
Matthew 25, verses 45 and 46. Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you do not, did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away unto everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Again, how many groups? Two. Those that go into everlasting punishment did not keep the commandments of God. Those that were righteous in God's eyes into eternal life. And my Bible has a reference from the authors that says Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. So let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 36. John three thirty-six. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So does one who believes in the Son keep the commandments? Or breaks the commandments. Keeps. Why would he do that? Love. Out of love. That's exactly right. You cannot believe in the Son of God without loving God. Anyway, yes? I have a note here for verse 36. You have a note here at verse 36? The second believe is actually obey. The second believe is actually obey. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life. Okay, did you take that from the Greek or? Just have a note here. Okay, then we'll take that note on face value. I have a feeling you didn't make it up. Staying in the book of John, go to chapter 5, verse 24. Oops, I have five red numbers out here. Uh oh. Okay, some people are having connection problems. Yeah. Reconnect is the best thing to do. So, John chapter 5, verse 24, most assuredly. I'm sorry? It wasn't in Greek. Okay. But that's what it means anyway. John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly. What's that in Hebrew? Most assuredly. Amen. It's amen. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Now that word here in Hebrew, Shema, is not just here, but it's also obey. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Keep a finger here. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We've talked about this before, but it never hurts to talk about something more than one.
Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. I'm turning it to in the Hebrew as well. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. You see where it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted him for righteousness. That verb there in the Hebrew is ha-amin. Have I say that? Ha-amin. Now leave off the ha-amin. I mean, what word does it sound like? Amen. Amen. Because that's where the word amen comes from. What does amen mean? God said it, I believe it. If God said it, it's going to come to pass. If God said it, and I believe it, if God gave us a commandment, what are we going to do? We're going to believe it and obey it. So that's how believe and obey intersect. The word for faith is imunah, which comes from amen. Imunah. Faith is believing that God will do what God has promised to do. All right. It's staying in the book of John. John chapter 10. By staying in, I mean turn back to the place where you left your finger. John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29. John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice. What do sheep do when they hear the voice of the shepherd? They go to him. They follow him. They follow after the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Meaning they walk in the same path I walk. Did Messiah keep God's commandments or break God's commandments? In John 15, he says, I kept them all. Verse 28 of John 10 says, and I give them eternal life. So my sheep hear my voice that means to obey me, Shema B'koli. And I know them. John 17, 3 says to know him is to have eternal life. And they follow me. That's why they hear his voice, to follow him. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. But what if you decide, I'm not going to follow the shepherd. I'm going to take my own path. They didn't snatch you out. You jumped out. You jumped out. But the shepherd, he not only leads the sheep into good grass, but what does he also do? He defends the sheep. He protects them. He also tries to drive them back. He'll even break a leg. He'll even break a leg of the sheep to try and get him to come back. And God does that, but we can still refuse. You can trample the blood of the sacrifice underfoot. Yeah. After you have already accepted it. And the book of Hebrews says, you can do that. don't do that. Uh, you can, shepherd, but don't. The shepherd comes after you, but there's a time it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because he won't always strive with you. That's right. So if we veer off from the shepherd to go along our own path, whose fault is it then if we get eaten by the wolves? It's our own. If we'd stayed with the shepherd, he would have protected us from the wolves. So verse 29 goes on to say, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
people read that and go, see, once saved, always saved. No, it says no one can snatch you out of his hand. doesn't say you can't jump out and run a different way. Does that remind you of the story of the little bread boy? Evrach, Evrach, I will run away. I will run away. Or the or the prodigal son. No one forced him to leave the father's correct. Go to the book of Jude. If you ask me what chapter, you're not there yet. Jude, verses 20 and 21. They should have broken that into two transverse chapters. Yeah, maybe they should have, but they didn't. Are we there? Nope. Jude, verses 20 and 21, says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. What is the love of God? 1 John chapter 5, 2, and 3. What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. Yeah. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah unto eternal life. That goes right along with Daniel's teaching. They are looking for, looking forward to, is not the same thing as saying, I already have it. Looking is a present participle. Looking is a present participle, ongoing. Continuing action. True. Go back to Galatians chapter 6, up to verse 9. It has that itty bitty little word that people tend to overlook. And that word is what? If. So verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. That means don't stop doing good. Keep doing good, enjoying doing good, wanting to do good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So what does that say? If we lose heart and decide we're not going to do good anymore, we want to go our own way. Don't expect to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, come judgment day, huh? Let's go to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. We did Romans. We're doing Galatians. These are the books that everybody says, tells us not to keep God's commandments. Are we finding that to be the case? No, we are not. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Apostle Paul speaks. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Yeshua to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What does Paul mean by Finish my race. Don't stop. stop. You must continue on the path of righteousness until either the trumpet blows or the heart stops beating. It also means that he has a goal before him and he doesn't waver. He is going to that goal. 
He's keeping his eyes laser focused on that goal. He may die on the way, but he is not going to be off the trail. He's he may die on the way, but he's not going to be off the trail. It reminds me of the old uh, story, the tortoise and the hare. Are you familiar with that? Of course I am. They're having a race, and the hare takes off real fast, you know. Yeah. He gets so far ahead, he looks back, sees the tortoise way back behind him, and says, well, you know, I'll take a break, you know. And he goes to sleep, the tortoise goes right on past him and keeps going and finishes. And the tortoise finished the race, and the hare did not. That's right. So it's steadily, steadily, steadily. Steadily, steadily, steadily. You're right. I have a more recent example. How many have ever watched The Amazing Race? Never mind then. Okay. <laughs> Never mind then. The Amazing Race, there are 11 teams that start out racing around the world for a million dollars. And along the way, one team picked up an express pass that lets them bypass all the tasks on a particular leg and go straight, straight to the check-in at the end. And they figure, hey, we got time to party. So they hit the clubs and the restaurants and they have a great time. Then they go and find out they're the last ones to arrive. They've been eliminated because they assumed that the prize would be theirs. Like the tortoise and the hare, they slept. They, they should have checked in before they partied. They should have checked in before they partied. Yep. That, that always makes more sense. Yep. First Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. Why does Paul so often use the analogy of people in a race? Because you've got to finish the race to get the prize. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Interesting. Does this remind you of Messiah's words in Matthew chapter 7 about the broad road and the narrow road? Those who run the narrow road to the goal of eternal life, he says, are few. Ah, and then in Luke, let's go back to Luke. Some of these verses are very hard verses. We'll just go to God as well, okay? Just go to what? God we'll is love. Yeah, okay, sure, why not? In Luke chapter 7, verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Luke 6, 46. Did I say 7, 46 again? I'm going to cross this out at the top of my Bible. Luke 6, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And then we will go on to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. More race analogies. Therefore, 
We also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is it that Paul says that keeps us from finishing the race? The sin which so easily ensnares us. That means it's okay to walk in sin, doesn't it? Nope. No, it's just the opposite. God bless you. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. God bless you, dear. Galatians 6, 10. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Because of what we just read. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So how should we treat everybody to the extent we have the capability? With kindness, with goodness. Let's look at Matthew 12, 35. Matthew 12, 35. A good man, out of the good treasures of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. So if our actions are good, what does it say about our heart? Versus if our actions are evil, what does that say about our heart? Is that... What John meant in 1 John chapter 3. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3 verse 10. First John chapter 3 verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. That's what we're just reading. Out of the heart of the good man comes good things toward his brother. And in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. We read what? Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. How can we sum up how we should treat our neighbor? They call it the golden rule, don't they? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Meaning this is what the Torah and all of God's encouragement toward repentance is aimed at. Treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. Back to Galatians 6, we're up to verse 11. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Why would Paul have to write with such large letters? Normally Paul dictates to a scribe who writes for him. But this one he says, look, I wrote it with my own hand. He wants him to know this is for me, but you say his eyesight is not good. 
Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There are people out there that teach that if you're a believer, if you have faith, you can't get sick. You can't get injured. These things don't happen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12 lets us know that Paul has a thorn in his side. And it's not Barnabas. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Messiah may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Messiah's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So three times he pleaded with the Lord to take away the problems with his eyesight. And what did the Lord say? You can do it. But I'm not taking it away. You need this. And he used it in his ministry. And right here in the book of Galatians he says, Why does he say, You can tell I wrote it because I write in such big letters. Were there people out there sending out false letters claiming to be from Paul? Yeah, that's why the Second Thessalonians letter starts out, even if a letter that appears to be written by me. But of course they were not. Yeah, you see my size 72 font. And in that day people would put their name on a document, put someone else's name on it to make it more impressive. Yeah, pseudepigrapha. Yes, Edmund. I've wondered, because of what he says in uh, Philemon, and he says uh, if there's anything he's done uh, uh, and he owes it to you, look, I'm writing him, in effect, I'm writing in my own hand. So that would make it a legal document. And I've got an idea that he always signed uh, the letters there's evidence that would suggest that he signs the letters, whoever else does the main thing, so that they always know it's an authentic one from him. Yep. And I think that's what the lines see, what big letters. I don't think it necessarily means he wrote all the letter, but at that point he's writing. It's often right at the end of the letter that he right. refers to it. Yeah, I'm not saying he wrote every word of it, but right at this point he's writing in his own hand. You're absolutely right. The only one I think he didn't sign was the book of Hebrews. Since he was the apostle to the Gentiles and he didn't want to offend Peter. But I wasn't there. Okay. Back to Galatians 6. Thank you, Evan, for adding that. We're up to verse 12. As many desire to make a good showing in the flesh, that is to earn their salvation through the works of the law and bring in converts circumcising themselves so they too can earn salvation, quote unquote, because that's not possible. These would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Messiah. 
That's interesting. They don't want to get saved. Therefore, they want to keep you from getting saved because that puts less pressure on them. It makes them look right when they have a bigger audience. You know, reminds me of something that Dr. Coleman said to me at the First Baptist Church in Prattville. When I asked him about the Sabbath and why the Baptist Church doesn't keep the Sabbath, he said, Wayne, I can tell you for sure that we are right and we're doing what God wants because we're growing so fast. What I didn't say, but many times I wish I had is, well, the fastest growing religion in the world is Islam. Does that make them right? But that would have been insolent, so I didn't do that. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7. Messiah said in Matthew 7 that those on the narrow road are going the right direction. Those on the broad road are wrong. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 18 and 19. Paul says very specifically, was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. He is trying to refute a rabbinic doctrine that salvation is by circumcision. He's trying to tell him right here, no, it's not. Why does he say keeping the commandments of God is what matters? Because we keep the commandments out of faith and love. Faith leads to love. Love leads to obedience. Back to Galatians 6. Verse 13. 4. Uh-oh, what's 4 there again? Because not even those who are circumcised keep the law. But if you had asked the scribes and Pharisees, are you saved? What would they have said? Yes. Do you keep the commandments of God? They would have said, absolutely. yes, absolutely. But what did Messiah say? Did they keep the commandments of God or did they keep their own rabbinic requirements? Hmm. Yeah, but there's more to that. Why did they believe that keeping their man-made rules and regulations was acceptable and pleasing to God? They believed that they had the power on earth to change God's law and bind men to it. What did the Catholic Church do in the 4th century? They said, we have the power on earth to change God's law and bind them to it. They simply followed the tradition of the Pharisees that Messiah said was vain. We have the keys to the kingdom. We have keys to the kingdom. We can open the door. Shame they didn't use them. Because isn't it written, is it the Talmud that says, basically, God gave us the commandments now no it's written in the Talmud that God gave us the commandments and now he has no say in it. We'll do with it while we want and people will follow us. Essentially, I paraphrase, but yeah. 
What do we call that? Arrogance? Yeah. So verse 13, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That is, boast in the numbers of people that agree with them. Let's go to Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Paul talked a lot about this. He was very familiar with it, having grown up a Pharisee. Having studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the grandson of Hillel. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Indeed. Whoops, you're not there yet. Let me slow down. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew. And rest on the law. That is, you find your salvation in the law, you think. And make your boast in God. And know his will. And approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. A light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish. A teacher of babes. Having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. Uh-oh, where do you think it's written? In the Torah. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, the Torah, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, meaning I'm saved by faith, I didn't earn my own salvation by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, I died to the world. I don't live in sin anymore. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Just turn a page. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does verse 10 mean? How are we supposed to live after we get saved? 
in righteousness, following the commandments, statutes, and judgments of Almighty God. Turn back a page, Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Of course, that new creation is defined for us in Ephesians. But we're going to look first at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us how we become a new creation. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Messiah that is saved by faith, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So our old lives are over and done. Put aside that life of sin we used to live and walk uprightly before God. Go to Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 18, right after what we were reading a few minutes ago. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace who has made both one. The both are Jew and Gentile. One in Messiah. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. He did that in Acts chapter 10 with the vision that he gave to Peter. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, unless you're reading from an NIV, in which case, where do they put the period? There's a law of commandments. They omit contained in ordinances. But contained in ordinances tells us that it's the man-made rules and regulations that were abolished, the dogma. So, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Meaning Jewish believers and Gentile believers cannot be fighting with one another, saying, we're better than you. Neither side is, is correct in doing it. Verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the enmity. Enmity is hatred that separates people. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off, that's the Gentile, and to those who were near, that's the Jew. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. What proved to the Jewish believers in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius and his family truly got saved. They were filled with the same Holy Spirit. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 7, 19. We read it a few minutes ago, but I want you to put it in the notes here too. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Does that sound like Ecclesiastes 12? 12? Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is it? Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Go ahead. 
the these Jewish people that were being they were putting up circumcision as a thing you must do. Paul is responding, and we we follow that. The Catholics forget about circumcision. The Catholics, it's christening or whatever you call it, of the baby. You can't go to heaven unless you. Okay, we've done, we've sprinkled him. He died in child. You know he he's going to heaven. Don't worry about it. The for the Catholics, they've replaced circumcision with sprinkling or whatever it is and it's the same argument yeah because an infant can't make a decision to obey god correct that's a sign as you said a sign of the covenant with abraham yep. and the parents are thereby saying we will do what moses said we will teach him as he's awake we'll teach him when he's out in the field we'll teach him when he's eating We'll teach him at all times yep. to obey God. You're right. When you baptize a baby, you get a wet baby. You get that very often in him. Yeah. Back to Galatians 6, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God? That takes us back to Romans 2. Verses 28 and 29 that we read a few minutes ago. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Tomorrow when we study Deuteronomy, Moses is going to tell us this over and over again. Let's go to Romans 9. <coughs> verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 9. Verses 6 through 8. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. So when Paul uses the phrase, the Israel of God, what does he mean? Those that are saved by faith, walking uprightly in the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. Then you can take it out in a broader context. So when you go back to the Torah, it says, speak to the children of Israel. Hey, that's me. That's me. That's absolutely right. So he says, keep this forever. He's, who's he talking to? The children, of the children of Israel. You and me. That's what Galatians 3 is all about. Those that are of faith are the seed of Abraham. I wish people would take it past that, you know, just what it says here in the New Testament. You wish people would take it past just what it says here in the New Testament and? And apply it to what it says, you know, back in Leviticus. And, and apply it back what it says in Leviticus. You know, it says, speak to the children of Israel. 
Yeah, when it says, speak to the children of Israel, keep these forever, these feasts. Good example, Zechariah 14, 16. What are all the believers in the world, Jew and Gentile alike, going to do at Tabernacles? They're all going to come to Jerusalem and celebrate. doesn't matter who you are. Get your lulav now. Get your lulav now. Yeah. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 2, verses 8 and 9. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's a reference back to Romans chapter 2. The synagogue of Satan are those who say that they are worshiping God, but they travel from one end of the world to the other to make a convert and make them twice the child of hell as they are themselves. That's the synagogue of Satan. They claim to be worshiping God and they are not. Then Revelation 3 verses 8 to 10. Revelation 3 verses 8 to 10. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I'll make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from, ek, out of, not through, the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Again, the Lord says very specifically, those who say they are Jews that are not, referring back to Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6. Verses 17 and 18 is just a closing salutation. It says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Yeshua. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah be with your spirit. Amen. Having finished Galatians, what do we say? Chazak, chazak, venish chazek. Be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. For how are we strengthened as believers? By studying the word of God.